Welcome to the Boil Down Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. And I'm Sam. Wait, no. No, I'm not Sam. You don't sound like yourself. I'm not. I'm not Sam. I'm Miranda. (laughs) Miranda. Hi. What did you do with Sam? I hid him. I I sent him away. He's (laughs) He's traveling. He's traveling. He's traveling all month, and we need to record some podcasts, or we won't have them to put up. So you have dropped in. You took an owl over. I know. I'm so <laughs> excited about this. I get to sit in the chair and everything. I feel and super you've been special. And you've been on the show before. I have. I recorded, I feel like, a thousand years ago. And then it's I got to record the holiday special with We're my bestie, Alex. So, yeah, it's awesome to be sitting here right now. I'm excited. It's pretty cool. Thanks for asking. What, when did you get sober? I got sober February 13th, 2011. Yeah. So it's been a little while. And you're in my home group. I am. We we know each other well. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad you're here. You've got some large shoes to fill. Not because Sam's so competent, just because he's got really big feet. He does have big feet, but thanks. No pressure. No pressure. But he does. He's got some big big shoes. I'm gonna do my best. Sorry, Sam. Sorry, Sam. <laughs> well, we have a guest. We do. Introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Greg and I'm an alcoholic. Greg. When did you get sober? Um, I got sober on uh, July 6th, 1993. July 6th. And I was there yesterday at the uh, men's meeting where we celebrated your anniversary. That's right. You just had an anniversary. That's right. Just had one yesterday. 26 years. That's correct. So I, I'm, I'm working as hard as I can, but I just can't catch up. And I can't think of a way to do it. <laughs> Except for you to get drunk, and I wouldn't <laughs> wish that on you. I'm not going to wish that on you. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, I saw a guy after the meeting yesterday who had been sober six weeks, and I told him I had 25 years, and he was going, he, you know, he jerked, and he went, you still come to AA? And so, so let me ask you what he asked me. Why in the world do you still go to AA? Well, I enjoy going to AA, and there's a lot of reasons why I go. Um, one is to see if I can be of service to others, so that I can be there for the alcoholic coming in just like everyone was there for me. Um, another is um, it's not just about not drinking. Um, it's about uh, sanity, because uh, my uh, definition of sobriety is clear thinking, my thinking seems to be a lot clearer when I'm around other sober alcoholics. That's why I go. Yeah, that, that's the same with me. Yeah, I think more than I realize that I'm there to help other alcoholics, and it helps me to help other alcoholics. And that's a really good, mo- but that's not really the motive that I go to three, I go to three meetings a week, and then I have sponsees, and then I do this podcast and other things. Mm-hmm. But so the real motive is that it's a practice to let go of the world and show up and be available and not not get pissed off at everything that doesn't go my way, which 
almost always things don't go my way. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I can't, without going to meetings, I don't deal with it. I mean, I always think of it as like life's a pressure cooker. And when I go to a meeting, it lets all the pressure out and I can start over. Absolutely. It's a place where I think people speak our language. You know, you walk around in the world every day and you're around people who you might just feel like don't understand you. But anytime I go into an A meeting, it feels like I'm with my people. I'm with people who speak my language and they understand why I might be upset about certain things that maybe the rest of the world might not care about. But it's like when I come to an A meeting, no matter how long I've been sober, I know I'm home. And that identification's relieving. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. What? Um, you look like you want to say something. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just thinking when I first got sober, I thought, you know, once I've been sober for a while, I wouldn't have any problems, you know, because that seemed like my only problem or my only big problem that was uh, more than I could handle. But living life on life's terms is is pretty tricky. You know, once you get used to um, relying on the benefits of AA, um, you know, my friends in the program and, you know, bouncing things off of people and, and just realizing that, you know, there's nothing I could go through today that, that I can't find, you know, somebody who's gone through that very same thing, Mm -hmm. you know, and just, you know, that kind of camaraderie, um, it's, it's, it's so strengthening. I'm just real grateful that I have all these people that I can trade it for anything. Yeah. 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 So, and, and I've never walked out of a meeting feeling worse than I walked in. I mean, I always, always um, feel so much better after I, I go to a meeting. Sometimes I don't even realize I needed one until I, I, I've, I've left one, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I have. There's been two meetings. There's two meetings that I walked out of where I felt worse than I walked in. But it's rare, but it does happen. <laughs> Alex calls it sometimes uh, you get a show in a meeting. You know, you ever go to that meeting where you get a show and a meeting and even, a show even and you know, there's always something, sometimes there's something kind of crazy going on. And she goes, you know, sometimes you just have a show and a meeting, but even that <laughs> you still walk away from it. Even if the only thing you can say is, well, I'm glad to be sober today. You're yeah. still walking away with some type of gratitude. I mean, I've, I remember, you know, you do the 90 meetings in 90 days Mm -hmm. and halfway through it, I'm imagining what am I going to do on day 91 where I don't have to go to a meeting. And by the time I got to day 91, I was going to a meeting just because I wanted to. Yeah. So yeah. it's really wild how that happens, and it's it's really it's quite awesome. It's funny. And that's like I've heard, you know, sp- some sponsees will say, "Well, I want you to go to meetings till you want to go." Mm-hmm. So I know you don't want to go. Just mm-hmm. go till you want to go, and then of course, when mm-hmm. you want to go, why? <laughs> yeah. You want to go, so yeah. it's not exactly. a, it's not fighting it anymore. And I had that, that took a long time. There's another element to it that I think of long-term sobriety that I was thinking about this today. It is discernment in that I can't see myself. I mean, I, I have an image I project and it's very tall and very handsome, but I, you know, I don't know what you think. And I've also imagined that I've got a full head of hair and but you do. And I do <laughs> from the front. Uh, from the top, there's an angle from up above. Keep short where, people around you. Where that's not true. But I don't see it. Yeah. I don't see it at all. Yeah. So I don't see myself. And that's what I think a sponsor's for. And that's one of the reasons I keep going to AA is because a lot of people don't have a place that they can go to 
where they can check my I can check my motives of what I'm doing. Also, I mean, I've got some just trained. We're trained by taking inventories and everything to be self-reflective. Mm-hmm. And so, if I'm self-reflective, I want to look at what I'm doing in my life, and then I, and the way I do that is like to talk to my sponsor and something. And there's been times when talking to a sponsor, sometimes it's just when it's coming out of my mouth, it's like, oh, I see what <laughs> I'm doing here. I'm actually really holding on to something that I'm fighting something and or I'm justifying some behavior so yeah absolutely it's important for me to see myself through other people's eyes because before I got sober um, I rationalized a lot of behaviors you know I convinced myself that things were normal that weren't normal you know when you know the biggest lie you could tell is is the lie to yourself and I lied to myself a lot to the point where I didn't really know who I was I was whatever I needed to be for the situation or the people around me it was in sobriety that um that I I found my identity and it took um bouncing things off of other people and listening to myself talk and like you, I have called my sponsor to say something, and as those words are coming out of my mouth, I'm thinking, this sounds like a crazy person talking, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, you know? absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I, he didn't need to say anything because I already knew, knew the answer. You know, and as long as I've been sober now today, you know, when I call my sponsor and ask him about a particular issue... Um, I already usually know what the answer is. Sometimes I just need a little kick from somebody or some encouragement mm-hmm. to do it. But you know, I I know what I need to do. Or but I, I just need... I just want a bitch. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah a absolutely. sounding board. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there is that. Um, I, I I try not to go there too much. But... Well, I, I know, <laughs> but like you know, like I don't want to do something, and I I know what I'm supposed to do. Or supposed to do. Yeah. I know I've got to let go of this thing. I know I've got to get along with this person. And I just don't want to. But So I'll talk to him about it. And I know what he's going to say. But it's, I don't know, it helps. It helps. Yeah. It helps to just, it almost helps to just say it. I mean, I've, I've definitely been there where I've had to call my sponsor and it's been hilarious. I've been in mid-sentence and I'm just thinking, you know what? Oh, my God, never mind. Like, it, it, I'm hearing myself say it. And it sounds ridiculous, or I already know the answer. So really, thank you for listening. I'll talk to you later. You know, not necessarily that I hang up the phone on her, but by the time I'm done talking, we're both laughing because yeah. we both realize, Miranda, this is this is just ridiculous. Yeah. But it's always good to kind of have that sounding board. Can either yeah. of you think of an example of a place where you were <sighs> talk to your sponsor knowing what you needed to do? <sighs> I can't think of any right off the top of my head. I can think of one, but I don't want to share it. <laughs> I, yeah, I can think of one. Um, I, I don't know if I really want to share it, yeah. but it just had to do with it had to do with a certain relationship in my life, and I kind of sit down and talk to her about it and complain and bitch, and you know, I did a fourth step on it and everything, and it, it was continuous. That's why I say I didn't want to share it because it's, it's, it's yeah. a relationship. <laughs> And it was personal. Mm-hmm. I knew what I needed to do. Yeah. I knew what the right thing to do was. Mm-hmm. And I knew that he was going to tell me, pray to God and ask for the willingness. And and I did. Mm-hmm. And and ultimately, it did get better, but it took time. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
like for me, it's usually situations where I need to stick up for myself or confront. And I always want to be the nice guy Mm -hmm. and just let it go, you know. And it's hard for me to tell somebody something that they may not want to hear. That's a situation that I I definitely like having the support of a sponsor with. Um, So just encourages me to, you know, that I deserve to to say what needs to be said and, and, and let it be heard. And, you know, and the world's not going to come crashing down, you know? Mm-hmm. So, right. and that, you know, and that's the big thing about all of this stuff is, you know, the, the problems that we think are so insurmountable, you know, in two weeks, we can't even remember what those problems were, exactly. you know? And, uh, yeah. you know, and I think going to meetings, getting back to, you know, what we started talking about is um, it helps me put things in perspective that, you know, whatever big issue that I'm facing today is is a temporary and that other people have gone through it. Other people will go through it. And we're all in this thing together, yeah. you know? Absolutely. What's your schedule like now? What's your recovery schedule like in a week? What's your maintenance? How many meetings you go to? Um, I'm not going to a lot of meetings right now. I'm going to, obviously, my home group on Saturday morning men's meeting. Um, I'm trying to get to Bethel every Thursday um, night um, that I can. And then I'm looking to maybe pick up another meeting here and there. Um, and, uh, I'm that's, really, that's yeah. Really, yeah. I like that. I'm looking to pick up another I'm, meeting. I'm, I'm, in other words, I'm you open, don't want to, and you're I'm not open going to, to it. Anyway. <laughs> I'm open to another meeting, you know, I could be persuaded, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, um, I'm really big into prayer and meditation and that, that's something that I spend a huge part of you, my morning. Did you say purr and meditation? Prayer. And it's a meditation. new type of meditation. It's purring yeah. meditation. <laughs> <laughs> it's very soothing. Yeah. <laughs> Don, you're not right. A day, <laughs> daily? Daily, yeah. Every day. Every morning, that's the first thing I do. I, well, I make my coffee, and, and I, do, I don't have just like one reading, but I read off of three or four different readings every day, and I take that quiet time. And How that, much time do you spend doing that? Um, more than I would probably admit, um, I spend probably at least a good 30 minutes or more every day, every morning. I'm up at five o'clock every morning. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> wow. And then I'm, and I, a, and I rush to make it to work by eight and, and sometimes I'm late. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. yeah, but you've made, but you put that as a priority. If yep. you're doing that every single day. Yeah. That's really interesting. I've like, I've struggled my whole sobriety with with uh, maintaining a morning prayer and meditation. I've gone through a long spell now, a year, at least a year, of doing my morning prayer. And the most minimum meditation, which is like 10 breaths. <laughs> but And even that, I don't want to do it. And the reason I started doing 10 breaths was because I realized that the only reason I don't do it is because I don't want to, and that's not good enough for reason. Yeah. <laughs> Your yeah. own internal tantrum. And, <laughs> you know, I'm doing this. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I, I make myself do that, but I, and I usually, I do a reading and I ask God to remove my character defects. I run through that list and I do a, a gratitude prayer. So I do that every morning. And, but I've successfully done that for a year, but there has been, I think it's like about five or six years of struggling to do that every morning. 
yeah. before I got to where I was willing to do it. It's really just willingness. But I, it's about 10 minutes. It's not. Yeah. It's not 30 minutes. So mm-hmm. I, I find that a challenge. Uh, and I, by that, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can't spend more time doing it. What about you, Miranda? Well, I'm like you. I'm up at five. I, I like my alone time, and that's about the only time alone I get during the day with, with a kid. But I have my literature that I read, and I wish I could say I sat there and, you know, crossed my legs and focused on my breath, and that doesn't happen every morning. What my meditation has really turned into is after I do my readings, it's like four different uh, books that I read, daily meditations. Usually I'll go outside and just be silent and just listen. And that might sound weird, but the reason that's kind of turned into part of my meditation is I vividly remember having a great fear of the sound of the morning and the sound of the birds and the sound of the day coming alive. So to now, now being able to go outside in the morning and be silent and take it all in and feel the gratitude of being there. It's just, it's a good way to start off my day. I do my gratitude at night. What about prayer? Oh yes. I do my prayers. (laughs) I do prayers in the morning. I didn't talk about my praying. Um, I mean, did you have a specific prayer? I have a very basic prayer, you know, that yeah, I do it, the same one every morning. A very basic prayer. I hit my feet, hit the floor, and before I even get up off the bed, uh, along with Lord, help me get up off this bed, it's I, I have my prayer that I say I'm going to keep to myself, and usually I'll end up saying it throughout the day. And that's one of the things that I had to learn is that I can pray throughout the day, and I can stop and, and breathe throughout the day and really find my gratitude at any point throughout the day. And, you know, just like we pause when agitated, yeah. Pause and breathe, pause and pray. Pause with yeah. a prayer is really effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, and again, it's evolved over the years. I was very, for a while, you know, I wasn't praying and I definitely wasn't reading any literature. I had packed it away because I just didn't, you know, I'm not going to do this. And, you know, pain, as it always does, just drove me back to it. And now, you know, I get up and I have that silence and I take the time to do that. And it's nice. It's it's really nice. And I can tell if my day doesn't start like that, my day ends up being very different. And at the end of the day, I do my gratitude list. I've done a gratitude list now with my sponsor for two years, almost every day. We text our gratitude at the end of the day. Yeah, I started texting mm-hmm. gratitude. to. Well, I told a sponsee to do the gratitude prayer. Yeah, I was told to do it as well. And uh, <laughs> Because I found that to be the most effective thing for dealing with my cynicism mm-hmm. is the opposite of cynicism is gratitude mm-hmm. uh, in so many ways. And, and also the opposite of fault finding is gratitude. And I'm born natural fault finder and to spend time to, and to, to do it, to do a gratitude list on a regular basis has made me pay attention during the day to like we walked by a rose of Sharon bush that was a great big bush with these big purple flowers they were just peak perfect that rose of Sharon bush I said a little gratitude prayer and that's going on my list tomorrow mm-hmm. so what's mm-hmm. happened is during the day instead of like at at that same moment it would have been very easy for me to be complaining about the person who drove by and they drove too close or something like that, you know. It's too hot. Yeah, yeah it's too hot. <laughs> and instead, it was gratitude. So it's it's not only like a practice to do, 
but it's also something that's really happening during the day is I'm being grateful mm-hmm. right. by doing it. It's a way of looking right. at things. That's changing. It's that's true. a change. It's a huge change. Yeah. Gratitude is extremely important. You know, before I, I was I got sober, um, I uh, I was sober another time for two and a half years and relapsed. You know, when I came back in, you know, you know, people are like, well, what happened? Did you quit going to meetings? Did you quit praying? You know, what happened? You know, where did it all start? And where it all started was I lost my gratitude. You know, that was the very before I ever missed a meeting, before I ever didn't pray, before any of that, I lost my gratitude. You know, I can pinpoint it to that that thing. I can, here I was with no driver's license, standing on a street corner, waiting for the bus, and I saw all these people with their cars that they had insurance and tags and and kids in the car going to daycare and the normal life, normal people. They had all these things that I didn't have, and I'm thinking, look at me. I've been sober for a year, and I don't have any of this stuff, you know? And, uh, you know, started that that feeling sorry for myself. And so, you know, long before I ever picked up that drink, um, I lost my gratitude. So you told me yesterday, a hilarious story about when you first got sober and your sponsor said for you to go to a meeting every day. And you said you were too busy. <laughs> yeah. Doing what? Yeah. Um, I, I had moved to Florida by plane. So um, that gives you an idea of how many belongings I had. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had rented this little apartment. The only the, the only furniture, I did buy a bed, but there was no kitchen table, no chairs, no living room furniture, nothing. So if mm-hmm. I made a bowl of cereal, I sat on the floor and I ate it, you know, and no TV. And I had just gotten sober. My sponsor said, you know, you need to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And I'm like, well, I don't think I have time. You know, where am I going to find the time to do that? You know, and he says, well, what are you going to do? Sit on your couch and watch TV because mm-hmm. you don't have either one. Ouch. But, you know, getting back to meditation, I think that's where it started for me is I'd bought this little bicycle or not a little bit. It was a bicycle to... Um, you know, to get around. And I would... Did you lose your license? Uh, yeah, I lost my license for seven years. I was a habi- habitual offender. Mm. So I had to ride my bike to yeah. groceries, meetings, whatever. And while, while I was riding the bike, I would I would say over and over, thy will, not mine, thy will, not mine, like a mantra while I'm riding my bike. Oh, wow. and, I would, and it really helped me just to clear my head. I don't really get into a big mantra, you know, every morning and levitate or anything like that. But, but, um, but I do know the value uh, of that quiet time. And and to this day, like sometimes I'll run. You know, I'm not a big prayer person like I was early in sobriety, where I'd had these long discussions with my higher power. Sometimes I, it's just a few words. Me too. I had. I used to do a whole lot. Yeah. And, uh, and I don't know if that's good or bad. It just is, you know, and I feel like my higher power, my relationship is like a friend, you know, and friendships are evolve. Sometimes I was a dependent on this higher power to in a needy sort of way. And now I think it's more of a, a friendly relationship. Mm-hmm. But, um, but so- friendships also require that you put time into the friendship mm-hmm. and that's why it, I think it's really important for me to do it every day because it's not a friendship if I'm not participating. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, <laughs> that's right. exactly right. <laughs> right. It's a mental yeah. construct. 
Yeah, it's not like a relationship with a friend. It's like your relationship with your sixth cousin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's right. See you once every five years. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Me my, and my higher grown. power, we're close. I remember when you were this tall. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember you at all. Okay. Greg, what is, uh, can you remember in that first year when AA took something that happened that was like really pivotal? Well, there were a lot of pivotal moments, but I think, you know, the, I think looking back on it today, I'd say the most pivotal thing is I was so afraid I was going to drink again. Mm-hmm. I didn't that and I was more afraid that I was going to drink than I was afraid of, you know, in times past when I tried to get sober, I was afraid of what would sobriety be like, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I mean, you know, how am I going to have any fun and all this stuff, you know, which is really comical to think of today because my life is so full. I just can't get it all in. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just not enough hours in the day. There's so much that I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but there was a sober party last night for you that I went to. That's the most fun I've had in a long time. It's great. 20 of my closest friends in the program. (laughs) Isn't that great? You you have 20 close friends. Isn't it? It it is. And uh, and what neat people. You know, I never had friends like the friends I have now. I mean, everybody, Mm -hmm. every single one of them is just just great people. Yeah, all the people that I hung out with at happy hour Mm -hmm. that were my friends. Mm Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was a different level of friendship. Yeah. I think that was more like getting yeah. together to bitch about life, life, the world. What, yeah. what I only had coming. friends when I had a bag of weed or something. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah that's right. It's like you know, then I was real popular. You know, if I had some coke or something. Yeah. But you know, where you did those people go for when the I head, man? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where those people were. You never yeah. saw them outside of the bar. I had tons of friends in the bar. Never saw them outside of the bar, and yeah. I don't really know that we knew our each other's names to tell you the truth, but. Yeah. In that bar, we were very close. We didn't, yeah. but we didn't get to the pivotal. Okay, so <laughs> so what's the pivotal? Okay, yeah. well, I, I, you know, part of it, like I said, was being more afraid to drink than I was to stay sober. The the pivotal, I think, moment of um, for me um, when it, the day that I got sober, and we talked about that. I had been in and out. For about a year, I'd relapsed. I'd been sober for two and a half years, and I could I'd stay sober for maybe a couple of days, a week, you know, three days. I just kept starting over, and I got to thinking that maybe I'm one of those people that's constitutionally incapable of, of staying sober. How many times did you do that? Well, over a, well, start over those amount of times for a year. I, wow. I spent a whole year, and um, that's got to be really defeating. It was. It, I was beat down. I was really beat down, and and I, I couldn't picture myself a, a year from now or even six months from now. I couldn't visualize what that would look like, particularly if I was still drinking, mm. of me being alive, because it, it was just getting real bad. And and I didn't even want to visualize it because if I was still alive, the worst thing would be if I was did survive and, and uh, how miserable my life would be. Particularly without drinking. Yeah. yeah. And here I was, 3,000 <laughs> miles away from my family. and The uh, one thing that's holding me together. Yeah. So I didn't even... Want yeah. me to give it up. Yeah. So I, I didn't have anybody... I didn't have any enablers. 
you know, I had a sponsor, and I really wasn't following directions. Um, um, had a sponsor. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he'd ask. He'd, I told him I wanted to go to a dinner engagement with some people from work that was going to be in a bar, and he told me not to go, and I went anyway. And then um, I went away for Fourth of July weekend, and I, had, I didn't drink at that thing that he told me not to go to, but I did drink shortly after. Then I went to uh, I went to Fort Myers to see my my kids and uh, took my boss's truck driving with no driver's license from Tampa to Fort Myers, mm-hmm. not a good thing. I'm stuck at this hotel. The only thing I could do is swim at the hotel with my kids, and I have pounding headache. I'm miserable. I'm sick, you know. And my kids are like, "Daddy, look at me. Daddy, look at this." And I just physically I was there, but emotionally I wasn't there. There was like a wall between us, and I couldn't get there. I couldn't get there emotionally because I was too sick from drinking, and I felt so low. And that was that was the end. And Did you, uh, it was shameful. It was very shameful. It was very shameful that I couldn't even even maintain the simplest of a relationship with my kids. Mm. Finally, it it ended. And I had to drive back to Tampa, and I remember I stopped and got a couple of drinks just to try to stabilize myself. I got back home, and I called my sponsor. And before I could tell him that I relapsed, he told me that I probably should find a new sponsor because I wasn't willing to follow his suggestions. Maybe I could follow and find somebody whose suggestions I'd be willing to follow. Or maybe I needed to go back out there and drink some more. He didn't know, but something wasn't working with what we were doing. And he didn't feel like he could help me. Yeah, Yeah, as a young kid, too. Um, I hung up the phone, and of course, the first thought that came to my head was, here I am, 3,000 miles from home. I've got nobody to be accountable to. I can drink with impunity, you know. And then the second thought came into my head right after that, and it was, well, it's just me and you now, God. It's just mm. me and you. Wow. And I looked down. My uh, my big book was laying on, on uh, the floor next to my bed because there was <laughs> no table. <laughs> <laughs> and I grabbed that thing. I opened it up. And uh, it just popped open to this page that said, you know, this program has worked for hundreds of other people. Why not you? And I'm like, you know, why not me? Why can't I get it? There's no reason why I shouldn't be able to get this thing if all these other people in AA are staying sober. So I read on, and I read all the way up to the third step prayer. By then, I've got tears rolling down my face, and I'm down on my knees, and I did that third step prayer by myself, um, which I did again later with a sponsor. But um, that was a pivotal moment. And uh, I got up, and I went to a meeting, and some guy was getting his five-year chip, and he mentioned in passing about his wife and his job and his car and that he had a license you know those are all things i i only could dream of you know so i asked that guy to be my sponsor and uh, he took me through the steps and i've been sober ever since good lord what a moment what a moment that's I'm trying not to cry over here, but I am <laughs> I failing miserably because I just I can see you shining. I can feel that desperation in that story that you were just so done. And that was the, that's that was surrender story. Yeah, yeah, that is absolutely surrender right there. Yeah, and so painful. You yeah. know, where you're you're just you're not even getting a couple of drinks to get drunk. You're just getting just just to be able to breathe. That's just yeah. Mm. It's hard to tell that story because you can feel it yeah. a little bit. You can't yeah, you say it without can. feeling it. <laughs> I spoke a, a week ago and I told a story from when I first got sober. When I first got sober, the 
I went to one meeting and it didn't suit me. And I spent four days running around trying to figure out what I was going to do since I couldn't do AA because they were talking about God. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I, I've got to find something else. And ultimately, I contacted a, a guy that I knew in AA that was a drummer that was very cool. <laughs> so he's a cool <laughs> dude. He would understand me. Yeah. He understood me all right, and he he said, "Well, let's go to let's go to a meeting," and I was going, "Okay, I'll go to another meeting." I went to a meeting, and there was a girl there who had a, her infant baby, and she was had brought the baby to the meeting, and there was two people there who I sort of knew, and they knew me, and they were like, "Don, mm-hmm. you're here." They were like so glad to see me, yeah. and I was, and I felt so welcomed. And at the end of the meeting, we stood up for the Lord's Prayer, and we were holding hands. And this uh, young mother had her baby in her arm, and her baby reached over and grabbed my finger. Oh my gosh! And that I told that story, and it happened. Just now, I mean, I can't tell it without. There's some vulnerability to it because it was a moment where it was kind of like it's gonna, everything's gonna be okay. You know, you can do this. I can say the Lord's Prayer, Mm -hmm. and I'm gonna be able to move through this because this baby (laughs) accepted me, which is like a new beginning. And so it's like new beginning. It's a rebirth. It's it's all of that, and it just it really gets me. Those moments of uh, of surrender are it because it is the fighting. I th- you know, when you were talking, Greg, about coming to AA and then getting drunk again and then coming back in and then getting drunk and coming back in. And to, I mean, I did that, but not in AA. But that's what the last two years of my drinking were like. And that's what we've got to do to get to the place where by experience, I know that drinking's not going to work. And I have to learn that by failing at drinking. Right. And I got to the place where it was absolutely clear to me, I got to do something different. I, this isn't, I'm not going to be able to quit drinking. Mm-hmm. Tell me what to do. I give up. And when I went to that meeting and the baby grabbed my hand, I gave up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so powerful, and that, that is so true, too. And I know, um, you know, earlier on, you know, I'd been going to AA meetings for off and on, you know, for a long time. And, and uh, you know, and I, you always think, you know, I'd go to this meeting. I remember going to a meeting in downtown Denver, you know, and you'd see this guy talking about living in a cardboard box or something. And I'm thinking, well, you know what? I didn't do that, yeah. so maybe I don't need to do that you know pointing at the steps you know Uh, uh and uh you know it's like if i if i'm only half as bad as them do i only you You know can i do half the you know and i'm trying to find my own way you know because i've always been you know i've never been a person a a conformist i've always you know kind of fly by the seat of my pants type of guy and uh you know and i always want to try to do my own version of it and my own version never worked Mm -mm. And it's like what you said, um, getting to that point where, you know, I give up on, on doing it my way, you know, and I was willing, you know, and I had a hard time with the God concept and the higher power. When I'd heard the word God in AA meeting, I'm like, oh, my God, I've had enough of this growing up. And I, it's the last thing I wanted. 
but you know i would have done anything you know i would have ran down the street naked if that's if it would it would have saved me from you know where i was going so sometimes it just, it takes what it takes. Mm-hmm. I'm just loving sitting here listening to the two of you. I'm trying not to cry at your stories. Well, I why mean, don't you share, do you have a moment oh of surrender? Gosh. I think my moment of surrender, I didn't even realize that's what it was. You know, I, I came to that final, hopefully final hangover of my life. I came to that morning at 5 a.m. staring at the ceiling. And I just said, I can't do this anymore. And I had no idea what this meant. I didn't realize at the time this was going to be getting sober. I just knew that there was no more going on. You know, I was going to end it. And I had gotten to a point where the, where actually the thought, the reminder that if it got too bad, I could always end it became comforting where suicide is a comforting thought. That's a pretty Mm. scary place to get to. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was really, and that's that, (laughs) <laughs> the theme song from MASH, Suicide is Painless. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, but it really was like a slow, it was a slow suicide. And, and you know, finally just coming to that point where it was like, I couldn't, so I could stop do? drinking. What did you do? You knew something had to change. Well, uh, the situation that was occurring with me already, I, I had already had an appointment <clears throat> to go talk to somebody about it with something that was going on in my life. Like and, with a counselor? Yeah, mm-hmm. I had a, a therapy appointment. You know, finally got honest for the first time with the therapist about my drinking. Ah. And um, when she listened to me and was very wonderful woman, and she knew I had come to AA whenever I was 20 and definitely didn't relate to anybody in the room or tried my darndest, yeah. you know, to compare myself. And, you know, she said that she to really compare thought, yourself out. Oh, yeah. Compare mm-hmm. compared myself to everybody in the room because I was the youngest. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is like, I don't, I don't know what happened. You know, it's just... I knew she was right. I I was desperate and miserable and it was over and I knew it was over. And I was just desperate enough that someone came into my life at just the right moment and I listened to them. And I said, okay, I'm going to do it your way. Oh, and that's it. Yeah, I'm going to do it really somebody was. else's way. That's uh, it the was, hardest I'm place do it to her get. Way. I, knew she was t- I knew she was right. I knew that I had no other way. And as awful as the idea was for me to quit drinking sitting there on that couch I knew it was over like it was over there was no going back so yeah that was that was it it was yeah (laughs) it was it was dramatic in my own head but it was Mm -hmm. just finally came to that point but I still I hope I'll never forget coming to that morning looking at the ceiling just being like I can't do this anymore because I could quit drinking plenty of times and I quit drinking plenty of times those last couple of years I could not stay stopped and I did whatever I could do to try to you know I took up kickboxing just so I wouldn't be at home at night to drink and I still come home after kickboxing and drink you know I did anything I could to try not to drink and I couldn't stay stopped yeah and I never thought it was the problem until the last day yeah. Nobody can nobody can tell us no. about no, not, not drinking. We had to feel it. I had to get to a place where I was utterly convinced that there's no mm-hmm. fucking way I can have another thing to drink because if I do, I'll mm-hmm. it'll be over. Yeah. It's going to be well, it's over. Like what you there's said no about end the fear. to it. Yeah, you know, I I think. I was terrified to drink when I, when, you know, I was sober just, just long enough to really see how bad things were. And then that fear 
set in of, of drinking again. Yeah. And I was terrified to drink again. Cause I'm like, God, I can't. Well, if, and plus I think I thought if I drank again, that AA would never speak to me again. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I got to stay sober because I don't have anything else. If this doesn't work, I don't know what else to do. Yeah. One shot. I can really relate to that. That reminds me of, um, the term, uh, self-destructive behavior, oh, you know, I relate because, to that, <laughs> you know, it's so funny because, you know, it, it is because it's like we're committing suicide slowly. We don't have the guts to, you know, blow our head off, mm-hmm. but so, but we'll try to drink ourselves to death, mm-hmm. you know, the slow, painful, miserable way, <laughs> yeah. you know, but you know, if you would have told me, as opposed me, to the easier, softer yeah, way, easier, yeah, softer, yeah. quicker way. Yeah. Yeah. But if you would have told me, you know, that when I started drinking, that it was self-destructive behavior, you know, I mean, you think of, you know, it's like those commercials you see, you know, and, you know, everybody's at the beach and they're dancing and having a good time and all Mm -hmm. these, you know, that's not self-destructive. We're having fun here, you know, and I don't know, you know, when we turn the corner, but at some point, you know, and I didn't realize that I was killing myself until like you, I had that moment of clarity that is why I go to meetings Mm -hmm. to end that is that I get that moment of clarity through other people. Now I got it as a gift that one time, but now I have to go to meetings to get it. Ah, Get that. that. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) don't go anywhere. The owl's telling me it's time for our question for the old timer. It's time for our old-timers question. Who you calling an old-timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time, missy. Touche. You can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org. Do you have a question? I have a question here. I have a few really good questions here. So The floor is open for questions. The floor questions. is open for questions. <laughs> so a good question we had come in. How do you deal with AA friends going back out? Well, I guess there's really nothing you can do. Yeah. It's sad but true. What I've had to do is accept that people have their own lives and I know that this works for me and I know that that AA works for everyone who completely surrenders to it mm-hmm. and if you don't want to do that you don't have to do that but I look around and have looked around and seen people living happy Happy, not lives full of boredom and misery, but productive, happy lives, Mm -hmm. like Greg was describing. Mm -hmm. And so that, so I know it works from the example of looking around me. Mm -hmm. So I have to turn it back on myself and look at my own willingness Mm -hmm. to continue to do all the things as we've talked about morning prayer. I need to do that. I've got to. Go. I've still got to go to meetings because I want to be able to find a way to live in the world. Mm-hmm. And without it, I don't. I don't do well in the world. So it really works for me, and it really enforces living a, a full, productive life. When people go out, it's sad, 
But, you know, maybe they've not reached to the, the place where no matter what happens, I can't drink. We were just talking about that. I learned that I, I'm going to fail if I drink. I know what the result will be, not because anybody told me what the result will be, but because I experienced it so many times, failing at being able to control my drinking. Mm-hmm. I can't control it. So I've rock bottom except the fact that I'm an alcoholic. That's not an easy thing to get to. Nobody could have convinced me till the moment I reached that rock bottom that I needed to go to AA. And mm-hmm. people did try to convince, convince me. So what I, I do is say a prayer for yeah. them and, you know, wish the best. Some people, there are other ways to get sober and some people get sober other ways. Mm-hmm. Some people don't get sober and some people die drinking. And, and I've, had, I've had close friends die from drinking. And what I do with that is I take that sadness and that, that loss and I apply it to the new person coming in. Hmm. Like we began talking about, one thing, if I'm going to AA, there's, there's going to be people there I can help who are, who are new in recovery. And I can take that and apply that to these people and, and be willing to be of service to them. I did with my brother. I have done that with my brother. I couldn't help him, but I can help other people who really want it. He didn't want it, mm-hmm. but people come into AA who really want to get sober, and that makes me willing to be available to them. Good answer. What about you, Greg? How do you <laughs> respond to that? Oh man, question. You're you're more of an old timer than say, I am. The <laughs> barely, barely. <laughs> um, I mean, you're a whole year more yeah. of an old. <laughs> yeah, it's a long year. Yeah, yeah. I learned a lot in that year, Don. Mm-hmm. Stick with it. You'll be amazed <laughs> before you're halfway through. That'll be December. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. Um, actually, I was hoping that subject wouldn't come up because I recently lost a friend Mm -hmm. and, um, and it's hard, you know, um, you know, one thing is for sure is that I never, I never feel angry at somebody who goes out, you know, and, and I've had people that have gone back out and they're like, I am so sorry, Greg. I know you were counting on me. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I wasn't counting on you I was trying to help you mm-hmm. you know um, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't hurt me per se when somebody else drinks other than you know I feel compassion you know and I know how hard it is and I mean it hurts me for them mm-hmm. but you know I, I, re- I just a f- couple of months ago I, I lost somebody I knew for many years over 10 years who went back out and I was actually going to wear my Dr. Bob and the good old timers shirt that he gave me today but I was afraid somebody would ask this question if I did so um and I got kind of got the question anyway <laughs> oh you could have yeah. worn the shirt yeah you could have worn the shirt but uh yeah it's funny you know because now every time I wear that shirt you know and I run in the park sometimes and every time I run in the park I think of that guy you know, it's a shame. It's a shame that not all of us get this program. And, you know, and any of us that are here now, we're blessed. You know, and all we have is today. We're not promised anything. We're not promised tomorrow. You know, and just by the grace of God, I'm sober today. 
you know, it's hard, but I, I need to focus on the people who want recovery, like, like Don alluded to. If I can put my focus there, then I can continue with them. You know, I'll tell you, I stayed in touch with that guy even after I knew he was back out because I never wanted him to feel like he couldn't come back. Yeah. So um, my, my door's still open, you know. Mm-hmm. You did what mm-hmm. you could. Yeah. yeah. You know, so. this is something that baffled me early in sobriety um, and can still baffle me to a point because definitely the first couple of years that I was sober, people that I knew would go out. A lot of us came in at the same time, and so people started dropping off, and it really confused me because I thought people came to A and just stayed. Yeah, I was naive and young and newcomer and really newcomer, <laughs> um, and I didn't understand really the concept that you can get sober many places, but I also just didn't understand that not everybody gets it. I would get angry, and I would... I. I would be judgmental. I'm not even going to lie. I would be judgmental. Um, the compassion and the empathy weren't there yet. Then it went from people going out to people dying. I was told early on, you stay around long enough, you're going to start seeing this. And it started happening, and then it started happening more. And it would make me angry. And it finally got to a point just the past couple of years recently, there's been some people who've passed away. And it's heartbreaking and it teaches me empathy and it really drives home the vigilance of not staying sober on what I did yesterday and being able to, you know, just piggyback off what the two of you said is that any meeting you go into, whether it's a newcomer or someone who's been there 10 years, there's always going to be someone there that you can talk to and that you can help. It would be really easy for me to want to sit at home and cry and be sad, but there's really no point in that. That was going exactly against. You can't help anyone doing that. Yeah. What, what is the purpose of this loss for me to sit at home and and do this? Or is the purpose of, you know, and, and I don't know. And, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, the, the ever changing relationship that you have with your higher power. And I love that because one of the things that I remember a speaker saying that I, I live and breathe by these days is any God I understand isn't going to be big enough for me. And especially the longer I'm in AA and I see things, I I don't understand, you know, and that's okay today. So it's hard and it happens. What's important for me today is not to judge you know, is to have that empathy. And thankfully today, I'm, I'm not like that anymore. I'm not, <laughs> I, I would like to say I'm not judgmental anymore. I have a lot of empathy. And, and I wish I could say that some people I kept the door open for and some people I didn't. And that's something I have to live with because yeah. um, they're not here anymore. But um, you learn. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like using it to rededicate myself. Yeah. Right, I like and, that. and I think we need to be very clear that that we don't take responsibility no. for other people's relapses or or the results of their relapse. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I've sponsored people that have gone back out. If, if they want to stay sober, you can't say anything wrong. And exactly. if and if they want to drink, there's not any magic word that you could say that's going to keep it from happening. So you don't have to live with someone else's mistakes. We've got enough of our own. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. No, I'm. I, I completely understand that. You know what? Uh, what I feel sometimes, or what I used to feel, looking back now on it, we're talking about you know doing it someone else's way. But it's funny how you can get here and start sponsoring people, and you want them to do it your way. So it's yeah. like you can kind of take that and shift it around a little bit, where. You might even be back in that mindset. You're just doing it sober and you're thinking, well, why didn't you do this my way? Why didn't you do this the way I told you to do? And it can still baffle you. But if you really step back and look at the motives of it, you're like, well, where are you coming from with this? Is it about doing it? Well, that's a fine line because I'm there to to share my experience, Mm -hmm. strength and hope. I can't tell somebody I'm sponsoring to do something different than what I did because I only know what worked for me. One trick pony. Yeah. Like Alex says, she's a one trick pony. You know, and, you know, that's why there's a lot of sponsors out there. And because, yeah, I'm only going to tell you what I did. Mm -hmm. I'm only going to suggest what I did. That's all you know. You know, (laughs) I mean, if you want to try something else, you know, that's enter at your own risk territory as far as I'm concerned because I don't know what the results are going to be. You had a sponsor say that to you. I mean, that's what you shared the sponsor saying that maybe you need to get someone else where you'll follow his directions because you're not following my directions. Right. Mm -hmm. You're not willing to. Right. And I've, I've said that to people before that I've weren't following it, but because yeah. what am I going to do? It's like, yeah, that I, I look at it two ways. Like there's other people have other experiences mm-hmm. and maybe this person will respond to, to someone else where they're not responding to me. And it may just be that. And mm-hmm. I don't know what it is because I don't know the only way to live sober. I don't have the only answer. AA is quite large. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's people that I have sponsored that didn't stay sober when I was their sponsor that are sober now. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, you know, who's to say? It it can but, happen. You know. Oh yeah. Well, let me let me jump in there. One thing I've learned over the years is that for me, what I needed when I first came in, I needed structure and I needed somebody to call me on my bullshit. You but know. a lot of the people that I sponsor they need some love and understanding. Just because I had a hard-ass sponsor doesn't mean that I have to to be a hard-ass. You, yeah. you need to read the situation a little bit. And mm-hmm. it's it's not easy, the sponsorship thing. It can change know? so much. I mean, I've, I've gone from hard-ass, and I had a hard-ass first sponsor. And then she might be listening, and I love you. You know it's true. <laughs> and I, I'm learning that people are different. And some people respond to things different. And some people like you and like me, you know, I needed that boom structure. And some people need something different. And it's just really looking at the situation. And if I'm being, and I love to admit this, it's taking my damn ego out of it. It's taking my ego out of it. And I can put my ego in so much of everything all the time. And my ego has no place in sponsorship. Yeah. And, And when I can remove that and just honestly... And I try to do this every time I talk to my sponsees because God only knows what would come out of my mouth if I didn't. It's just say, God, please speak through me. Yeah. Because anything that's coming from my adult mind <laughs> might not be good for anybody right now. You right. know, so I, I've got to be conscious of that, that my ego is not sponsoring my sponsees. Yeah. You sound like you're coming from a place of love. I'm loving sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> not all the but time. But it is kind of fun when you run up on a situation where you can say some hard-ass thing that your sponsor said to you and you can say it to a sponsor. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I had, that. I was able yeah. to say, 
They don't know how important you are, do they? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I love the well, what the hell did you think was going to happen? And, <laughs> and I've been I've been told that you can say just about anything to someone with, if you say it with love. Mm-hmm. And I've found that to be true. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. well honey, what the hell did you think was going to happen? You know, <laughs> and instead of them being like, "Go fuck yourself." They're like, "You know, I know. I know." Yeah. And it's it's But amazing. part of the relationship is yeah. the willingness on Sponsees oh, yeah. part to hear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so I could really say it anyway, and they wouldn't—they wouldn't hear me. Yeah, yeah. 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 It takes both. Mm-hmm. One time I was thinking about drinking, and you know they told me in AA if you think you're going to drink, call somebody. So I did it. I thought I've never done this before. For the first time, I'm actually going to call somebody. So I call this guy. Big move. And he goes, yeah. "I said I called him up. I'm like, hey man, I think I'm thinking about drinking. And he goes, well, why did? Why don't you? <laughs> and, and I said, well, because. <laughs> Because if I drink, you know, then I'm going to probably lose my job. I, you know, I don't have enough money to get drunk enough as I want to get, you know, and I, I had all these reasons, you know, and then I'm going to screw things up. You know, my parents are going to know my girlfriend, you know, and uh, he goes, oh, OK. And then as I'm telling him, you know, and because I'm thinking that, you know, as a sponsor, if I was to say, well, why don't you drink? You know, they'll probably just run out the door and okay. drink. But, you know, he said, well, why don't you? So I gave him all the reasons why not to. And uh-huh. I hung up the phone. I didn't want to drink anymore. <laughs> That's just, but let's go back to what we said. You call your sponsor with something that you oh. think is important. And it's like, what the hell am I even calling you for? Never mind. You yeah. know. Yeah. Oh, I, I love it. Love, it's great. Greg, thanks for joining us today Thank and you. Miranda thanks for You're co-hosting welcome. look you out both. watch your head we have a feathered friend oh, no. swooping down low <laughs> thanks for joining us the boiled out podcast is posted on the first and 15th of every month visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email give a hoot at boiledowlaa.org If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Note, Boiled Al AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.